Oh, running around the marble. That sounds interesting, doesn't it? For the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about, about Jonah. And there's some good reasons for that. Um, but just to get us started, have you ever thought about running away? Uh, I didn't get an amen, but I got a chuckle. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like um, sometime in your life, not the last year, but sometime in your life, just got to that point of wanting to throw in the tw- towel, to quit, to just say, I'm done. I think every one of us has gotten there at some point. But have you heard the story of the lady that was looking out her window and she noticed the six-year-old boy that lived across the street walked by and she waved at him and a few minutes later he walked by again and he's, he's, he's dragging a suitcase behind him. And a few minutes later he walked by again and she called out to me. She said, Johnny, what, what are you doing? She said, I'm running away. And she said, well, why do you keep circling the block? And he said, I can't cross the street by myself. (laughs) Have you ever considered that some of the most famous people, especially in the Bible, ran away? Think about Adam and Eve. In the garden, after disobeying God, what did they do? They ran and hid. Moses, after seeing the oppression of his people, actually went and struck down an Egyptian who was beating one of the the children of God and killed him. And what did he do? He ran away. For 40 years. David. The one who stood up to Goliath. Ran away. Multiple times. From King Saul. And the disciples. In the garden. They scattered. Like bugs in the night. However, the most famous of the runaways, let me see if I can turn this on. Hey, there we go. The most famous one is Jonah, right? We call him what? The runaway prophet, right? Maybe the most famous of all of them. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at some principles that are in this very, very short book. it's, It's only about 50 verses. Honestly, you can read through it in about 20 minutes if you go slowly, right? It's a fairly quick read. And in fact, I would suggest that over the next four weeks, you do that every week. You pull it up and you just read through it. Now, if you want to wait till Saturday night so that you're prepared for Sunday morning, that's fine. But read through it. And try to read through it with some fresh eyes. Because I know you know the story. I know you've heard about it. 
But perhaps maybe there are some principles here that you haven't thought about. Maybe there's something more to this story that can help us right here. Because you see, my goal in doing this is to change your perspective and hopefully to change your influence. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Father God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for being here. As Scott said, making yourself dirt for our salvation. What a glorious and loving thing that you did to pay our sin price and then to show us that we do not have to fear death. That there is life that goes beyond what we know. Father, as we open your word and as we study, we pray that your spirit will speak to us and change our hearts and move us toward you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You ever heard the story of the school teacher? That when the class was studying about the ocean made the statement, she said, I don't want you to ever be afraid to go into the ocean because there are no sea creatures out there that are actually big enough to swallow you whole. And one little girl kind of stuck her hand up and the teacher said, yes. And she said, well, I learned in church that a great fish swallowed Jonah whole. And the teacher just scoffed at her and said, that's impossible. It, that could never happen. And the little girl went, well, okay. When I get to heaven, I will ask Jonah and find out if it was real or not. And the teacher, being sly, looked at her and said, how do you know Jonah went to heaven? He says, well, if he didn't, then you get to ask him. Now, if you think about it, honestly, you look at that story and you look at what people tend to focus on. And do you realize that fish is only in about three of those verses? Really, it's a very small part of the story. The other 45 verses that are there, they tell the story of someone who is very much like you and I. It tells the story of somebody who struggles with what God has called them to do. It tells the story of someone who knows what to do but prefers to go their own way. It tells the story of somebody who won't talk to God when they should, but what they do is they use prayer as as a complaint line tells the story of somebody who has to deal with God's discipline and with their own shortcomings. 
And it tells the story of somebody who, who's in need of a second chance and gets it. Now I ask you, does that, does that sound familiar to you? Any of that? Jonah is a historical figure, by the way. He was living in the northern kingdom of Israel during the time of the divided kingdom when Israel's to north, Judah's to the south. During the reign of Jeroboam II. In fact, he's mentioned in 2 Kings. We go over there and we read this in chapter 14. He, meaning Jeroboam II, was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of Arabah. Do you know the Sea of Arabah? We also call it the Dead Sea. Okay, that same region. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel spoken through his servant. There it is. Jonah, son of Amittai, a prophet from Gath Hefer. And you see, looking in this book, 2 Kings 14, 25, the time of Jeroboam II, what's being talked about in context of this particular chapter, this places Jonah squarely around 760 B.C., before Christ was on the earth, right? Nineveh is the greatest city of the Assyrian Empire and had already by this time started to exact tribute from Israel. Do you know what that is? They call it extortion. We call it, ta- we call it extortion too. Um, but they had already started to extort money out of Israel as early as 841 B.C. And remember, time goes the other way, right? So as much as 80 years before Jonah, Nineveh was already known to the Israelites. Gath Hefer is in the district of Zebulun, about three miles northeast of a little city that you know about, maybe you've heard of. It's a little town called Nazareth. So right in that same general region. Now this is a humorous story. We are supposed to laugh at it. In fact, any Jew listening to this story would understand this is written tongue-in-cheek and it is made to make them laugh at the foolishness of this wayward prophet as we also recognize our own foolishness. There in the first verse we read, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship that was bound for port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, believe it or not, in these first three verses, there are several principles that we need to pick up on. First one is that God invites us to join him in his work. He has always invited man to join him 
in what he was doing. He had an assignment for Jonah. He has an assignment for you too. And I would expect probably more than one, depending on where you are in life and where somebody else is, that may need to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. 2 Kings 14, we see that Jonah is a prophet. He's a servant of the Lord. In fact, he is his mouthpiece. So he is, in fact, a messenger of God's truth. Let me ask you a question. Are you a messenger of God's truth? You who know the grace of the Lord, are you not messengers of God's truth also? Yes. If you are, say, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes. When God spoke to Jonah, we need to see that this was a normal occurrence. This one time that he gave him instruction to go to Nineveh is not the first time that he talked to it. It was not the first time Jonah was supposed to speak for the Lord. We can conclude that Jonah was in the habit of answering God's call. Now, I don't know how the Lord spoke to him. Could it have been audibly as he did with Adam and Abraham? Was it in a vision as he spoke to Ezekiel and and Peter? Was it in a dream the way he spoke to Joseph? Or did the Holy Spirit just simply leave an impression on his heart as he so often does with us today? I don't know. I don't know how he did it. But we know that he did. Question. How is it that God speaks to us mainly today? How is it? It is through The written word, yes. Through the written word, right? Through the holy scriptures, right? Now, he can speak in other ways. He can speak through songs. He can speak through sermons. He could speak through prayers, through scripture, through the wise words of mature Christians. Sometimes, sometimes he might even use somebody who's not a Christian to say a word to somebody who is that will convict their heart to straighten up. But I will tell you this. Regardless of how you perceive God speaking to you, this one fact is absolutely clear. He will never speak in conflict with what he has already said. He will never speak in conflict to the word he has given us. It has been proven as true through time, and it remains true. You know what else is true about Jonah and about us? We're not always going to like what God tells us to do. We read there in verse 2, he said, Arise and go to Nineveh. Cry out, their wickedness has come. Nineveh is the up-and-coming world power in Jonah's day. Within 50 years, it will be the capital of a vast Assyrian 
empire located on the Tigris River, now um, in the area of Mosul, Iraq. Nineveh would grow to a city of over 600,000 people. Its city walls were 20 miles in circumference, 20 miles long around the city. They were 100 foot tall. They were wide enough that it's written that three chariots could ride abreast across the wall. Sounds like a fortified city, does it not? Nineveh also had a reputation of being vicious and cruel. The Assyrians, as their armies advanced and as they conquered and they took over, they had one hard, fast rule. Never keep a prisoner to skin them against them for nearly 80 years. In fact, the question that would have been on their heart is why does God care about those people? You ever wondered that? You ever wondered why God cares for our enemies today? Let me ask you, do you believe that God cares for the Buddhist? Do you believe God cares for the Hindu? Do you believe that God cares for the Satanist? For atheistic humanists? For Muslims? Do you care for them? I think today, this idea of preaching God's forgiveness to people we really don't want to talk to is how most otherwise serving Christians tend to rebel against God. We, we sidestep Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Just like Jonah sidestepped his responsibility. In his day. See back at the the time of Jonah. Jonah and the people of God. Needed to have a different perspective. They needed God's perspective. They needed to see past what others did. They needed to see past race. Past color. They needed to see souls. That God created and that he loved. But you know, they thought they were special. They thought they were God's chosen race. But they forget that they were chosen for the purpose of introducing the world to him. Wow, sounds an awful lot like our purpose, doesn't it? Peter tells us, 2 Peter 3, 9, that God's people didn't realize that he loves all men and wanted all people to come to him. You know, 3,000 some odd years later, I'm not sure we fully get it either. I mean, we get it here. But do you get it here? 
people of God, who gets saved is not our decision to make. Who makes that decision, by the way? That individual and who? The Holy Spirit who is reaching out and disturbing their life and calling them. Yes? What's our responsibility? Our responsibility is just to tell people what we know and to point them towards a better life if they're willing to choose it. Jonah, Jonah's not interested in going to Nineveh. Not at all. So he ran. He runs to Tarshish. He runs to the southern coast of Spain, some 2,000 miles away from where Nineveh is. It would be like today we were saying that somebody was going to the opposite side of the world from where God told them to go. And you know what? Jonah's not alone. Not really. Have you ever gloated over something negative that happened to one of our enemies? Have you ever heard about it and found yourself smiling, rejoicing inside? If so, you've bought a ticket to Tarshish. Perhaps you've known somebody that was headed in the wrong direction and God told you to intervene, but, but you didn't want to go talk to him. And now you're sailing with Jonah. If we're only willing to do God's will when it suits us, then we're, we're right there in the boat, sitting right next to Jonah, taking the easy way out. Now you think about it. When the story tells us that Jonah went away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish, that is funny. Let me show you something. Can you see that? Can you see that? Ryan, come up here a second. What is that? That is a tiny globe. Tiny globe. It looks like a marble, right? Yes, sir. And here, hold it in your hand. What's, what's on there? A map. A map? A map of what? The earth. The earth. What, what do you see? What, what is that? North? North America. Okay. South America. Africa. Europe and Asia. Yeah. And there's a tiny little dot out in the middle of the ocean area that's supposed to be Hawaii, but you almost can't see it. Yeah. Thanks, man. It's a marble. That's what it is. In fact, it has a map on it. Let's just say for a moment that God is as big as Ryan and the earth is this size. But now, we know that's not true because the earth would be a grain of sand or even smaller compared to the vastness of our Lord. Amen? So it's a bad analogy, but just stick with me, okay? Here's the world, 
six foot tall guy, God. Jonah is going to escape from God. So he runs from here to here. You laugh. What is it the psalmist says? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from you? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. And if I go to the grave, you are there. What's he saying? There's nowhere where we can escape from God. Before we leave, I'm going to tell you one more thing about this. Okay? So in effect, Jonah is just running around a marble. Hmm. I guess when we attempt to flee from the Lord's presence, we probably look pretty silly to him as well. Now, God has given us free will, right? God has given us free will. It is a gift. It is a gift we abuse at times. But it is a gift. And he has given us the freedom to exercise it. And we can tell God no, and we can go our own way because he has given us, it's hard to say this, it's a God-given right to refuse God. We do not escape the consequence of that decision. But God is a perfect gentleman. If we choose to live without him in this life, he will honor that decision in the next. Family, even though you have free will, I want you to understand something very clearly. You cannot say no Lord in the same sentence. If he is Lord, he is master of your life. He has undisputed possession of everything that you are. He is master. We are indentured slave. When he says go, we can't say no. Because if we do, we are moving ourselves away from him being Lord of our life. In other words, we can run from God, but we can't hide. We can't hide. We can hide from the minister. Oh, yeah, we can hide things from our spouses. We can hide things from our children. We can even hide things from our bosses. But we can't hide from God. So when Joe, when Joe's, Jonah, that's who I'm talking about. So when Jonah decides that he's going to flee from God, he made a calculated, deliberate decision. What did he do? He went down to the docks where he found a ship. 
on the surface, it looks like his plan is going flawlessly, right? Everything is falling into place. But friend, I want to tell you, just because God allows something to happen doesn't mean it's the right thing. And the truth is, anytime we want to run away from God, we're going to find a ship. Because that's part of free will. This may surprise you, but this is a principle we have to pick up from this story, okay? Anytime we fall away from the Lord, it is always a calculated decision. Now, you may have made it in a snap moment, but you did make that decision to move away. It is a deliberate choice. We may blame it on the devil, but the truth is we're the one that went looking for the ship in the first place. We read on there. He says, and paying the fare. Oops. And paying the fare, he went aboard. Literally in Hebrew, what it says is he went down into it. Okay, He went aboard, he went down into the ship and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You know, once we step on that pathway of disobedience, the road always leads downward. And if you got your Bibles open, you're looking at this. Verse 3, it says, he went down to Joppa. Verse 5, he went down below deck. He went down into the ship. Verse 5 again, he went down into sleep. And then verses 15 and 17 both indicate that he went down into the sea. Do you see the pattern there? Do you see the progression? What is it? Down, down, down. You see... Jonah hit a moment in time that Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. You want to hear more about that, ladies? Remember, there's going to be a Bible study on that starting up in a few weeks. But he hit that crisis of belief. Is he going to do what God wants him to do or not? And God allowed him to make his choice. In that crisis of belief, he decided to run, sailing into a storm and out of the will of God. He took what appeared to be the easy way out, not because he questioned God's existence, not because he didn't know God was there, not because he didn't know God was all-powerful, but because he simply refused to be obedient to his will. Now, I hope you're beginning to see that Jonah, this book, this story, really does have a lot for us today. Because you see, individually, we have to decide if we will or we will not reach out into the Nineveh that we find ourselves dealing with today. 
Most of you that are here today, you are here because you are servants of God. But here's the question for you today. What kind of servant will you choose to be? We all have our Ninevehs that scare us right down to the bones. But my prayer for you, my friends, my family, is that through this series that we will learn from Jonah's example, but choose to follow Isaiah's example. That when God calls us, we will say, here am I, Lord, send me. Father, we thank you for your word, for the consistency and the constancy of it. We thank you, Father, that we don't see heroes that are flawless. But as we look into your word, what we see is flawed men, flawed women, and your grace to overcome. We thank you that you have made that path for us and give us the opportunity to choose you. As we come into this time of decision, Father, stir our souls and lead us in your path. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So remember, you're trying to hide from God what you're doing. You're running around a marble. Okay? You're not going to be able to do it. But can you do the next right thing? Whatever that happens to be. To decide to come to him for the first time? to decide to move to a different path, perhaps back to God, to move into service in something that you know he's calling you to do, to reach out and talk to a neighbor who maybe believes or acts or looks differently than you? Are you willing to do the next right thing? I want to end on a positive, a big positive. When I first saw this, these are cheap. They're on Amazon. I used to pass them out because I just think this is wonderful. And I start thinking about how small we really are compared to God. You know one thing that makes me wonder? Which one of my problems are so big that he cannot handle them? I like the perspective. The next right thing. If it's talking to God where you are, letting us sing, getting right with him, do that. If you need to come to him for the first time, do that. If you want me or one of the elders to pray with you, come and we'll do that. But won't you come as we stand and as we sing?